Hey friends, are you familiar with the most trusted business network for business executives? It's the C-Suite Network. If you're a business of $5 million or greater, and if you're a VP level or higher, then you're invited to join the C-Suite Network to connect with your business peers. Go to c-suitenetwork.com, that's a c-suitenetwork.com, to learn more about the benefits, meetings, and services exclusive for C-Suite executives like you. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 477 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. So a couple of quick items today before we meet our guest, Matt Bertuzzi. If you like the show, it'd really help us out if you subscribed, left a review for us. You can do this all with the podcast app on your phone that you're using to listen to this very podcast. So go ahead, hit pause, subscribe, leave a quick review, and then come right back. We'll be waiting for you. All right. So again, I'm excited to be joined on the show today by Matt Bertuzzi. He runs sales and marketing ops at the Bridge Group, where he works with his illustrious mother, Trish Bertuzzi. He's also a sales and marketing ops expert, SDRAE metrics expert, and five-time Salesforce MVP. And he is the author of a new book, Lightning Sales Ops, as in Salesforce Lightning. And we're going to really jump down into the details today about metrics and other things. Matt, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you so much for having me on. So bit by bit, we're having the whole Bertuzzi clan on the show. <laughs> I mean, who's left? Does anybody else at home we should have on the show? Uh, we, can, we can see who's back in the old country. I'll make the call to Italy. <laughs> back in the old country. Bring them on over. So, yeah, I mean, your mom's been on the show twice. And, uh, you know, this will be like an audition. If this goes well, we'll have you back on multiple times, too. Great. So there Great. we go. So you've written a new book called Lightning Sales Ops. And, and what's the title mean? Sure. So it's... It, 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 to me, at least it means two things. One, it's about Salesforce's new release or reinvention of the platform, which they're calling the Lightning Experience. Mm-hmm. And two, what it means for just regular sales ops people uh, is about do, doing things quickly for yourselves and making, which is surprising to many Salesforce users, making Salesforce fast and easy for your reps. <laughs> the holy grail. Yes. I mean, there's a whole, whole sub-industry that's developed around you know, all the... I mean, you could say that basically most applications on the on the App Exchange are really geared to make Salesforce easier to use. What one hundred percent? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. the greatest thing Salesforce ever did was say, "Look, gosh, if we encourage this, this is how our customers actually end up getting value out of Salesforce is by all these add-on applications." Absolutely. It's it's so funny that it, it's it's so ubiquitous, but from instance to instance, company to company. You can customize and layer a sales stack on top of it. So there's, you'd think, if, oh, I've used Salesforce before. It doesn't mean much as, as reps go between companies. That is really, that is a great point, right? Because of that sales stack, because of the customization. Yeah, I, I worked with a client a couple of years ago that, yeah, I said the same thing. I've used Salesforce. And I walked in there. It's like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> because they had a, they developed a whole custom quoting system for a complex system inside of Salesforce. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was it was like learning something completely new all over again. Absolutely, there's a, I mean, there's a strong foundation there. It's it's like the old the old any sales rep who's ever walked into a brand new org kind of has a sense for what Salesforce is. And generally, the complaint is it's click heavy. 
and there aren't many sales reps or even sales managers who think this is great. It's, you know, it's so sleek. It intuits what I wanted to do next. It's always required fields, getting these validation <laughs> errors. I have to update these things on Friday at 4.59 to get them in by 5 p.m. Right. So my, my book, and I think like the sales ops community at large, is, is our job is to make make that experience better. So, well, let's talk about sales ops in general, because I have to admit, is, is and this is, I feel remiss after working through your book, and as we talk here today, is, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is that after 400, nearly 500 episodes, is we really have never really spent much time talking about sales ops sure. on the show. So, so for people who maybe aren't familiar, because, I mean, it's, it's not a widely spread role quite yet. Definitely. definitely. Is, is, so what, what is sales ops? So sales I think operations. Of, so, I, yeah, sorry. So, uh, you know, A, we're hidden, and B, we use acronyms. So we'll try to uh, <laughs> spell it out. So, so to me, sales operations is really about kind of all the different gears that connect in an organization, like leadership, the company's vision, customers, sales reps, kind of lubricating or, or, or reducing drag on the machine, on the operational machine itself. So it can be friction or drag between sales management and sales reps. The reps aren't doing the things I want. I can't get the reports I need. So sales ops job is to, to be hidden, to be behind the scenes and make that process seamless. Or our well, customers are, you, yeah, but not please. to, not to replace the sales manager and enforcing that it get done, but just to no. make it easier to have it, to have it happen. Absolutely. To, to really try to shave off as much drag. I think of it like shaving off drag and friction is, is my job. So if that's making reps' lives easier, making managers getting the reporting easier, mm-hmm. surfacing the data management needs when they want to talk to reps. Like if a manager wants to have a one-on-one, they shouldn't have to spend an hour to build the content to have that conversation. Like that's my job. They should be able to review it in five minutes before the call and then have an hour great one-on-one with their reps. But it's sales ops jobs to prepare that for the reps as well. In theory, I mean, inside of Salesforce, yes. Okay. The things right. that the rep needs to manage their day, to manage their territory. It's my job that they can get it in one place without request, like not requesting one-off stuff, just like sure. the general, the 80%, the center mass of what they need should be there. Hopefully when the rep starts, like if you're scaling a, a team, mm-hmm. you, you kind of know what they're going to need. How they know where's my territory? What's my you know how's my activity level? Where am I on the leaderboard? It's not the rep's job to build that. It's my job to build that for them. Okay, so at one level, it's like the uh, if the sales process is the sort of external reflection of sales, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's the sales operations process that's sort of the internal reflection of that. Yeah, absolutely, and it goes from how does the data get in? What tools are used? How do quotes come out? What's the configuration tool? How does Salesforce track the whole way through? And how does the business know, you know who's, who's on top, who's going to club? How do we do that without basically people who make more than me wasting time doing things they don't like? Like I'm, like, I'm better at math than selling, so let me do the math and everybody else worry about the selling. <laughs> you may actually be better at selling than many of the people selling. So, so, yeah, how does then sales ops engage in the actual sales process itself? So generally, it, we aren't the type of people who choose the process. You know, that comes from leadership. But we have to understand the components and then think about the tools that align to support each. Mm-hmm. You know, at, the, at, at the easiest, it, it would be, who am I going to talk to? Where's the data going to come from? How's it going to mm-hmm. get in front of the reps? Mm-hmm. Once they have a conversation, what am I going to present? 
you know, where is that content from marketing or enablement? How does that get to the reps? How do they share it with the prospect? How do we know what's being used? How do we know what the prospect prefers? And then how do we quote and close? Like what all the tools, enablement pieces, we might not, we're not going to build the software. We're not going to write the enablement decks or the selling decks, but it's our job to make sure they get the right thing shows up at the right place for the right rep at the right time. And you'd mentioned about lead flow and so on. So does sales ops typically, you know, interact with, with marketing in that regard in terms of, okay, how are we establishing the lead flow and how it flows from marketing into sales? Absolutely. So whether the, the market, you know, marketing might, your marketing team might have a preference for Eloqua, Pardot, Marketo, you know, a system of choice mm-hmm. and it's sales ops job to then integrate it into the core CRM or your, your total stale stack so that people, people can use the systems they want to live in, but the business can report on and have like a, a, a hub where all the different tools are spokes around it. Okay. So for the sales organizations that don't have a sales op fun- ops function is how do they know when they need one? <laughs> so if you're, I think, I mean, listening to your show, I think you, you, you totally agree. If the managers are spending the majority of their time not managing, mm-hmm. it's probably because they're doing some, some portion of their job as sales ops or the reps. Like you'll generally have reps who are quite good at running Salesforce reports or they're good at evaluating technologies. So these individual contributors are taking time away from selling to, uh, to go on demos, to evaluate tools. That's something that sales ops should be doing. Was that something that becomes self-evident to an organization? Because, I mean, you know as well as I do that that reps are always going to say, well, I'm spending way too much of my time doing bureaucratic crap that I don't need <laughs> yep. to be doing. So, you know, as a manager, as a, as a CEO, mm-hmm. yeah, how do you know when, okay, what, how do I know when the balance is tipped, right? Or that we've reached the tipping point where we need this person, where it's not just, you know, random talk from the sales reps, but it's actually, this is a problem we have to deal with. I think like the rough numbers I've seen and some of the, some of the VC firms have put out these, like when to hire, when to hire your first director of sales ops. Mm-hmm. It's like generally when you're at 20 or you're scaling through 20 reps seems to be pretty right. Mm-hmm. Like if you've, if you figured, if you have product market fit and it's repeatable, then you, I, I hate when people make up words, but I'm going to do it right now. That's when you want to operationalize things. Oh, no, in the that's, technology. That's, a, that's a Steve Bannon word. So yeah, okay. <laughs> I know I just saw that today too. So yes, we want to operationalize the process. Okay. So if you're still trying to figure out the product market fit, if you're still trying to figure out how do we sell this repeatedly or re- repeatably, you don't need somebody like me to work on the technology and the, and the metrics. Yeah, I've got bigger problems, exactly. bigger fish to fry at that point. Right. And so when somebody's brought into this organization, then sales ops, where do they align in the organization? Do they typically report to the VP of sales? I mean, I've, I've seen instances yeah. where they don't, actually. Generally, it's so if, when you're small, there's generally nobody else to report. I mean, you could report to the CEO. There's, a, there's that. But then you get to everyone has an ops person. There's a, you know, there's a marketing ops person who mm-hmm. does the data and the analysis for marketing. Right. There's a they call it people ops now like the math <laughs> side of hr basically the math and system side of hr and in an emerging trend i don't know if it's here to stay if it's too expensive if it even makes sense is to have a central biz ops that rolls up to the coo got it okay so a lot of options there well i think it, the last question in this in this before i jump onto more about your book and so on is is so how do they you know 
let's say you're not because you, I mean you you do a lot of work with, and I hate to sort of stumble over it here, but you do a lot of work with with you know startups and mm-hmm. companies in the valley, tech companies. All right, that's great. So let's step outside the tech world for a second and say, okay, you know, regular company, you know, manufacturing company, outselling, they got outside field sales, they may have got some inside people doing lead gen and so on. And maybe it's, you know, oftentimes owned by one person. Yeah. And they say, oh, God, the cost of a sales ops person, that that's coming right out of my pocket, right? That's, that's part of my bonus. I pay myself at the end of the year going right into that person. How, how do they justify that from an ROI standpoint? Hiring that sales ops person because they need it, right? They're they're obviously they're let's say they fit the profile. What's that ROI point for them? For me, it would be one. What's the cost of one bad hire, one bad contract with the technology, Mm -hmm. or a year wasted where you you have your sales methodology but it doesn't get implemented, and you have to re-implement it next year? Like, what what are the actual costs of those? And if you have one person whose job is to make sure that what you spoke about at kickoff gets built, gets built, technology gets built, the data is built, and the mm-hmm. process and the metrics is built, I think that's where the ROI comes in. So, in the, so like in anything else, if the average quota attainment per rep doesn't go up, then there's no point for sales ops, right? I mean, if managers are happy and the technology is humming and everybody hit a million last year and they're still at a million next year, then the sales ops person had no value. So in theory, like in anything, any technology, anything that the, the sales reps quota should be able to go up because they're going to have more time, more insight. It's going to be more value to the organization. And that value is going to be shown by them closing 1.1 million, 1.2 million in the next year. Well, that's an interesting connection, right? I, I, I mean, intuitively, right. You would think that's the case, right? That what you're doing is your, your sales ops is freeing up time for salespeople, freeing up time for managers to actually manage and coach. But is that what the data is showing? I mean, you have some insight into the industry data. I mean, we're we're in an industry. You know, if you just look at generally, and people are tired of me saying this, but if you look at the generally available data about sales, it's not saying that we're getting more productive or becoming more productive as a, and that you know, quota attainment's not necessarily going up across the board in business to business industry. So, yeah, it, it, interesting. You know, conundrum. I guess to see you know, how do you figure out whether this is really working or not. I don't, that's a really good question. I think you're absolutely right. Quota attainment has not moved. Quotas, at least from our, our research on the SaaS side, have gone up slightly. But it's... it's if as they should, are, by the way. As they, yeah, as they should. I mean, inflation alone would require... The logic of inflation would require everything go up. But just as companies are scaling, I, I wonder how possible it is to maintain the same level of ach- achievement as you scale. Like, is it reasonable? You know, is that is that something... Can you have... Can you, if everyone's knocking out of the park at four reps, I'd be amazed if you did it at 40 and shocked if you did it at 400 reps. <laughs> like, like it's just no, no offense to big companies, but big companies do things worse than small companies because they're big. Like anyone who's had ever had to go through legal at a big company can say you are harder to work with. It's just a fact. Yeah. Well, I think there's some correlation there. I'm not sure it's always a fact, but yeah, definitely some correlation. I think that, that you could see, but, but yeah, it, it does speak to this whole thing about sales operations. Is you can say, okay, well, great. And I'm not saying it's not a necessary, a necessary role. It certainly is, because if nothing else, for as we talked about, is if you look at most of the topics we brought up, they all revolve around the technology that we've brought to bear mm-hmm. into this process. Um, not 100%, but you know, most of it, right? So, um, yeah, it's like, how do you really figure out whether you're getting that payback? 
even though it's a role you need to have. But does it, pure, it become purely an overhead role that's just necessary, sort of like having a building and air conditioning and, and heating? <laughs> yes, and, yes. And I was going to say like like a receptionist, but nowadays most of that is is automated phone trees. So right, that's right. a role that's been completely removed. Yeah, not to not to diminish the value of the role. I said, but it's it uh, it almost becomes, as you said, to a certain degree. I think if you're going to be at a certain size, and this is well, certainly in the tech business, this is true, right? I mean, way more technology intensive sales processes yes. going mm-hmm. on. I mean, I spoke with a company just a couple months ago that they've been in business for a hundred years. They have sixty field sales reps. Some few inside sales reps. They've been around for a hundred years, and I was talking to the VP. I said, "Well, so what's your big initiative for this year? We're installing our first CRM system." <laughs> wow! But that's real world, right? You know what's happening in the valley is not the real world. That's that world, but it's not. You know, I and I, you know, given presentations to companies. I did one just a few weeks ago. Company had a bunch of distributors in the room, and and. I mean, a huge swing in terms of, these are smaller companies, mm-hmm. but a number of them in the room between many that just had nothing in the sales stack to some that had, you know, a fairly sophisticated sales stack. But, you know, the percentage that had nothing sort of reflect what's, what's really happening is that's, you know, the adoption is still pretty slow. Is it seems think, like this becomes really sort of a critical issue. I, what you made me think of when you said that is someone is owning a, par- a, a portion of the ops role today. Like someone is a, a portion of maybe it's the mm-hmm. receptionist is now a part time admin. Yeah, there's like, a sales like, administration role, absolutely. There, there, or somebody is, is helping coordinate the deal desk, or somebody's the intermediary between the customer and the sales rep with the redlining and the legal process. Like someone is owning a part of that today, and at the point that that becomes more than they can do, you either change their role or you bring in or you make them sales ops essentially. Yeah, and I, I say that just by way of saying that you know, for companies that that aren't you know real engaged and haven't really invested heavily in their tech stack, their sales stack, and so on, is is you know this is this is something to keep in mind as you consider as you start building that out. Is that like that company, hundred year old company that that is implementing the first CRM system? They started with Salesforce. Yep, and I'm starting starting asking the question is like, okay, well, who's going to support this? Right? <laughs> you know, you're just doing. What are you adding in terms of your your sales stack on top of Salesforce? Nothing. They were doing vanilla. Yeah, Salesforce and very <laughs> out of the box, which was built yeah. for, like you said, Valley companies. Well, it was also built in 1999. I mean, it's like it's like guys, dude. I mean, this is this is yeah. They had no idea of just you know this vanilla Salesforce. And I, I can I can almost promise what's going to happen is a receptionist, an admin, HR, someone is going to become the part-time admin. And then in the Salesforce community, we joke, you know, raise your hand if you're an accidental admin and everybody's hands grows up because nobody goes to school for this. Right. And that's, I mean, that's how I got into sales ops. We at the Bridge Group needed somebody to help with Salesforce and HubSpot and all these tools and try to figure out, you know, the, to put together some sort of metrics and, you know, what's our compound and annual growth rate projections. Mm-hmm. Who, who's the best at Excel is essentially the question we <laughs> no, asked. No, and who's, I, I who's the left, youngest, most recent yeah. in the door, all those things. Yes, that. <laughs> yeah, you look left and right, and everyone has stepped back but you, and you're like, oh, I guess right. it's me. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, so again, by way of people listening to this, is, you know, if you find yourself in this role, is, is actually really don't want to wait, and I, I had to ask the question for you, you really don't want to wait to hire the sales ops person 
until after you've you've started investing in all this technology, it's it's really good to get somebody on board, maybe even just as a consulting role to help you make yeah. these decisions and put your processes to place. That's true, and and a lot of times, like with Salesforce, you'll, you'll almost always have an implementation partner. But the minute they leave, once you've quote unquote rolled it out, is when reps are saying, "At my last company, it was better. We did this, or man, this is a problem, or no one's doing anything." And now you have to re-engage with them. So it's it's good to have somebody who can speak Salesforce and can make minor tweaks. You know, add a field, add a field to a record, change a pick list value, run a report. Yeah, that's, that's it's a specialized skill. Yeah, and that's also not to say that that the only CRM system that exists is, is Salesforce. No, absolutely not. But the pre- the the premise of like any of the SaaS based CRMs, which I feel like they have to have. Even for small companies, like HubSpot has their free CRM. So if you're a, and that will come in through the marketing team. If you're using HubSpot for marketing, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're a pet groomer or a small manufacturer. It makes sense. I need to give you these leads so I can either email them to you one-on-one or you can come into the system I'm using and you get the full history. Right. All right. So let's, let's. I didn't mean to spend so much time talking about sales ops. So I'm no, glad we did because I mean, it's, I, it, I did it too. Andy, honestly, I've never really thought about it. I've never had to justify my existence. So now I'm a little nervous about who's going to listen to this. <laughs> well, that's why people come on the show. <laughs> so you never know what you're going to get. So, so your book then is, is sort of takes you through really a step-by-step process of using Salesforce for sales mm-hmm. ops. Yeah. So for, specifically, I wrote, I wrote the book on serving or building Salesforce around for the sales development role, because I think it's the most universal. Like there's a lot of variety between inside sellers, field sellers, whether they're teamed, all the different tools they're using. Mm-hmm. But, for, but for sales development, it's generally inbound prospecting, or excuse me, inbound qualification, outbound prospecting, trying to set meetings, trying to do something and pass it to someone else. So I felt like it was the the use case that was the most widely applicable, whether you're a, a Valley tech company, whether you're a medical device company, whether mm-hmm. you're insurance, you know, manufacturing, what have you. And I just tried to, honestly, I like, I love, I'm a former, I, I always joke, I'm a recovering sales guy. I'm a former SDR. I did this for professionally. I, I know a bunch of SDRs. I think it's a hard and important job. Yeah. And every time I ask them about Salesforce, the, the, the color drains from their face. <laughs> There's no love lost. <laughs> and I, I'm really, I mean, I'm big in the Salesforce community. I, I have a podcast about Salesforce. I co-lead a user group. And it hurts, it pains me that a tool that I think is powerful, they think is horrific. So this book is my attempt to make their lives better and get business value and elevate the Salesforce admin role to more of a sales operations one where you're, you're not just the button builder you, you, you can speak to the business. You, you know, I know you want this. Our reps are going to do this. Here's the process you laid out at sales kickoff, and here's how we're going to put it in the system. Well, yeah, and increasingly, as, as we talked about before, as, as we see all these new generation of tools get layered on top of, mm-hmm. of Salesforce, you know, the SDR's reactions to it. I mean, first of all, they, the SDR gets further and further away from Salesforce itself, right. which, which is good. So hopefully you start seeing some sort of you know, change in opinion because now they actually have, thanks to a lot of these applications, they really have a really functional tool they can use on a pretty turnkey basis. Yeah, absolutely. And and my other my other piece is it kind of it kind of is a little harsh for me that so many reps are fleeing Salesforce. You know, they they have a license, but they're living in these other systems, which are amazing. But it, I feel 
if we could get, we can get, let's say 60 to 80% of that back in Salesforce, companies can save money. You have one less tool to manage and you're closer to the business because if my field rep or my, my, even if an inside counterpart is in Salesforce and I live in this other system, it's really hard. Things get lost. You know, it it can't, there's a ways where humans can talk where APIs can't. So if we were looking at the same screens and the same record, I would like to think that there's more value to the organization. And there's going to come a point where companies are going to have to stop buying tools. Like we've been, Andy, 10 let's say eight years of an expansion mm-hmm. where people are just buying tool after tool after tool. That, for those listening who have never sold through a recession, they exist. They happen. Tools get cut. Like this is going to happen in your lifetime. Oh, it's going to happen sooner than people want. Agreed. Well, I think part of that, the thing that's going to drive it is there's just too many tools. Mm, it's true. So we're already seeing some consolidation. Where I, and actually, that's sort of stealth, I'll call it stealth consolidation, because you know, there's a number of companies that aren't getting their next rounds. I mean, a lot of this mm-hmm. is all being driven by VC money, so they're not getting their next rounds. So you know, we're seeing some begin to fade now because they're running out of runway. You know, they don't have enough money and, and they're not making enough traction fast enough and the new round's not going to come in. So, so we're seeing some of that. But I think it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be more pronounced. But it's interesting. You're probably just scaring the heck out of a lot of these platform <laughs> makers by <laughs> and saying it all needs to come back in-house and Salesforce only has so much budget to buy so many companies. It's true. I, but I mean, it's like, if I totally agree with you. If you, it's, we're still in an expansion. And if you, if you're looking to buy a tool, you should know whether that company, like you, you should evaluate their financial footing. And I'm also for supporting new companies. I'm just not interested in complex deployments with lengthy contracts with a company I'm not confident will be around in nine months. But a lot of times with the, since a lot of these come in the form of a, a SaaS, you know, subscription model is, is, is a lot of times there's not huge commitments. That's true. I mean, it, yeah. we're not, you know, CRM one thing, but as you sort of move a, you know, away from assuming the most complex is at the bottom where your CRM is and, and you sort of move away from the complexity and get more point solutions, you know, a lot of those become, you know, freemium, convert to, you know, paid individual user type model with little contract. Oh, I mean, they're still looking for that 24-month agreement. But, but, but one piece I, I try to, to recommend and I try to do it internally is let's say you're going to buy the, the, the blue widget and you have 10 users, I like to try five for six months. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the vendor sales reps, surprisingly, are not a fan of that. <laughs> they want all 10 for 24 months. But if I can try with half my, a random cross-section of my users for six months, and I have a hypothesis, this, is, this metric is going to improve. Then I know whether it's a tool or a toy. And there's nothing wrong with toys if they're free. The reps like them. They feel like things are easier. But if I have to spend real money there needs to be a return to the business. Well, I think one of the hard things in that scenario, though, you talked about with all these tools, and you, know, you can talk about this from the sales ops perspective, is that, quite honestly, it's it's really hard to determine whether you get a metric improvement, whether that's coming from the tool itself, or you know, there's so many variables at play. You're ab- yeah, right? absolutely you're, right. Because a lot of times these tools, unfortunately, we're, and again, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it seems like, you know, in the first generation of users we're seeing for a lot of these new innovative tools are themselves tech companies that are <laughs> new and yeah. innovative and and pushing the envelope in terms of how they're trying to sell. And, you know, so many things that work just with new companies, new products, new markets, new customers. 
how do you know which one's really moving the needle in that way? And, and you know, is it correlation or is it cause and effect? I mean, you, there's all, you can do math with like difference, different diffs, differences and differences. But I think if, if you literally have a tool, if, I, if, if you're my CEO and I, I ask for budget and you say no, I say, okay, can I have budget for half my users for six months? And you say yes. And then six months later, you say, what did it do? It's, it's on me to figure it out. And if I don't know, that doesn't mean by the rest of my licenses. To me, that says, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We can try again or we can walk away. Mm-hmm. Well, I think my point was, I just think there's easy acceptance too often these days. Sarah said, yeah, things change. It must be that. No, you're, no I 100% agree with you. And I'm in, a, I mean, I'm in a member of a bunch of Operation Slack groups. And maybe it's because I'm not 10 years, 15, maybe 10 to 15 years older than a lot of my peers. Like I, a lot of my sales, sales ops folks are in their early twenties. I am not, I am much more skeptical about tools and less excited to integrate a new tool than folks. <laughs> I just, I, I went, I've gone through the period of having to rip out tools because the budget wasn't there. So. Well, it wasn't I, there I, or you couldn't, couldn't really justify it. As you said, as you, exactly. do, you do the math, that's what it's like, say. yeah, I think it's helping, but I'm not hundred percent sure it's helping. Yeah, I, I might, I am a, I, I'm a arms folded listener. I am not a, that sounds amazing. So I'm a skeptic when it comes to anything. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. given the space you're in where there's so much innovation, like I said, taking place and, um, yeah, I mean, I think there was surveys I saw earlier, I guess it was 2016. It was, uh, you know, they interviewed the sales ops people about, you know, how many apps did they have in their sales stack? And it was like, you know, five to seven or something. And they interviewed the, <laughs> the salespeople. Yeah, like the answer was like 11 to 13. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sales apps have that challenge. So there's a lot of guerrilla usage going on of apps that the reps find themselves. Which is, which is a double-edged. It's good in some cases because you want more eyes seeing things, but it's rough and that you can tell someone. How do you tell someone that's correlation, not causation? You basically, mm. you're saying you're wrong. <laughs> you think this helps? It's a placebo. That's mm. like a really hard conversation to have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure that that conversation has to be had a lot because yeah, yeah it's something that makes somebody feel good, gives them a certain level of comfort. But yeah, at the end of the day, what they're doing is they're spending time on something that that's not really producing an outcome, and so it's being counterproductive at that point. Absolutely, and I think I've seen a out. We just did a, their 2017 SaaS research, and I know I've seen this from other folks to talk about like the $500 sales stack. Like, what is the spend on technologies? Mm-hmm. And I, the research we just did, the average over, you know, 300, and again, this is SaaS companies, so these are the ones most likely to buy and spend, mm-hmm. was, was 500 per rep per month on top of CRM. Hmm. And in some instances, that's six tools. I think four, or three and a half or four was the average. But that's, to your earlier point, when you have that many tools, how do you know which is helping which might be dragging the, your averages down and which is doing nothing. It's really hard. Yeah, and I think doing nothing becomes sort of the operative case for most, right? Unless it's, right. <laughs> I mean, if it is a time sink that, you know, people are investing time in it, but if it's integrated, right, if it feels like, you know, through the API, what I'm entering here is then getting to Salesforce, I'm not, you know, taking multiple steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, do you need that extra step in there? Is it is it really doing something? I, I, to your point earlier about, you know, you sort of wish at one level things sort of returned back to the mothership and people operated within that domain. Yeah, maybe that ultimately comes the answer. I don't know. 
it's tough stuff. Yeah, it's it. tough stuff. That's right. So I, I feel for everyone who's debating tools right now. I mean, it's they all look at me. I mean, even me, the skeptic, will see a new tool and my mouth will start to water and I can en- envision it. But then five seconds later, I remember when I was burned in the technology in 2001 and I don't want that ever to happen again. <laughs> 2001. Are you old enough to remember 2001? Of course I am. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, 2001, 2008, 2009. I mean, one of the things that you know, we talked about before, and I, I've told the story before, if you know, I go to an industry conference, like uh, I remember the Saster conference back in mm-hmm. 2016, and I made a point of going to every exhibitor there. Oh, wow. And I did it again this time. And just sort of, you know, who are you doing? What are you doing? And you know, part of it is because I was seeing if there's anything interesting to bring on the show. But, but, you know, as I made my way around and made a complete circle, I got to the end. I thought to myself, hmm, these companies are all selling to each other. Yeah. <laughs> and if there's going to ever be a hiccup, there's going to be a lot of casualties. So, uh, it, it, Yes. And I think your earlier point, it, how much of that is VC driven? If they're all coming, if they all have three three VCs that have invested, they can. That's three board members or two board members that can provide introductions to the other portfolio. So, yeah. Well, as opposed to selling to something I know that's not as exciting and it's not as quick turn because you know, companies aren't as high growth, but selling outside the bubble. Yeah. Because again, that's where I see a lot of companies. Like a lot of listeners to the show, you know, provide feedback, and it's like. Yeah, gosh, the level of penetration of these tools outside the the bubble, quote unquote, is really low, and yeah, these companies you. really need it. And a lot of times they're just confused, to like where to start. You know, we talk about these really advanced tools, and you talk about you know this at the SDR level, right? Incredible number of of really cool things to use that mm-hmm. I would have killed for when I was young <laughs> in my career and and just starting out. But it really becomes confusing to companies that that aren't even doing things like, you know, let's track email opens. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I had a client, you know, last year I was dealing with a large inside sales team, a uh, large sales team in general. And it's just like, yeah, nothing. They had a, a CRM system and that was it. Um, it's almost, all right, so here's, here's my, now it won't be secret, but here's my secret tip whenever... I take a vendor call and I, I try to, I try to actually take this from Trish from my mom. I, I do set one day a month around for vendor calls. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you call me on the first, great. I'll talk to you on the 25th of my vendor day. Here's my slots. So if I see a demo and they bring up their slide and it's, you nailed it. It is 100% companies that are in the, have similar, uh, geography, similar investors, or also in the tech space. Mm-hmm. And I say, who do you have in professional services? Because in professional services, if if they spend ten thousand dollars, that's ten thousand dollars the partners aren't taking home. Right. So I always ask, what professional services clients do you have, and can I talk to one? Because we're a professional services company, and we're cheap, and I know they're cheap. So there's mm-hmm. just a level of belief that if someone is willing to take a vacation or buy a technology, you know, they're and they buy the technology, they've they've done some due diligence, some level of due diligence. Interesting. Well, hey, that's that's you know good tip for somebody that's listening that's that's uh, considering investing in sales tools in in their sales stack and is ask <laughs> ask for a reference from a professional services customer. That's I like that. That's cool. 
Or in the case of you know other entrepreneurs, you know, solely owned companies. If you're you know no, <laughs> sole proprietorship, right? Same thing because yeah, at the end of the you're not going to get your distribution check at the end of the year if it's going to be light ten twenty thousand dollars. I know same from my experience. Firm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a business owner. It's the same thing as yeah. I want to make sure that's going to pay for itself. All right, well, Matt, it's been great talking to you. Um, gosh, I had a lot more to talk about. We will have you back on to, to talk about. This has been fun. Fantastic. So tell people how they can connect with you and find out more about what you're doing in your book. Sure. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Matt Bertuzzi, M-A-T-T-B-E-R-T-U-Z-Z-I. I am on the Salesforce success community for any of those who are Salesforce users. My book is Lightning Sales Ops. It is available on Amazon. For any sales leaders or sales individual contributors, it's not for you. It would be terribly boring, <laughs> but maybe get it as a nice Christmas present for your admin or ops person or uh, a nerd that you know. <laughs> a nerd that you know. Very well done. All right. Well, Matt, thanks again. And uh, friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Remember, come back and join us again tomorrow. Until then, really appreciate it. If you take a second, go to iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe and leave a review for Accelerate. I want to hear what you have to say, what we can do to make this even more valuable experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>